All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. It is so good to see people in this room, to see our church family, some of our church family uh, here in this room. And uh, I know it, it, it feels very different uh, because it is very different. But uh, we're certainly grateful that, uh, that some of us are able to gather today. Of course, uh, very special welcome, those of you who are live streaming right now. Uh, good morning. Uh, good to see you. Thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. And, uh, and of course, if anybody's maybe watching this recorded, uh, we're, we're so glad that you've uh, uh, decided to be, be part of uh, this worship service today. We trust it'll be a blessing uh, to everyone. Now, as we, uh, just before we get going, uh, we're, there's lots of change, right? We're, we're in lots of change. We're going to just start off with our announcements and uh, just bring you up to speed on, uh, on a few things. Um, just a, re- a reminder, of course, and our families, I think all of our families know this, but uh, that there is no children's ministry, there's no uh, nursery uh, here on site uh, until, until further notice. Okay, that's just the way it is right now, but of course we're still sending out um, the, the weekly Kids Zone Sunday School curriculum, and uh, if anybody's not getting that, they would like to, uh, just let us know here at the church, we'd be glad to uh, get that out to you. Also, do remember to read your newsletter each week that comes out on Tuesday. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then there's a problem, okay? So you should definitely uh, make sure that you're getting that. Let us, know, uh, uh, let us know here at the chapel. If you're not receiving that, you can email us at office at arendale.org, and uh, we'll be sure to get to that newsletter. It's just, got, it's just a, a means of communicating to you things that we need to communicate, things that are happening. And of course, in that a newsletter each Tuesday will be the link to register to come to church. And uh, all of you who are here in the room with me know that because that's, that's how you got here today. So, uh, but just to let everybody, everybody know. And also, of course, you can register too by calling the chapel here and we'll get you set up. Thank you to everyone for our church family. Thank you so much for continuing to give and being faithful in your offerings. We know this has been a very challenging season for lots of reasons, including financial reasons for many families, and, uh, and some of you uh, are really feeling that and experiencing that. But of course, uh, there's the, the, re, um, the ministry here at the church continues, and uh, we're so grateful for that continued giving and even sacrificial giving. Uh, we're so, so grateful for that. We're going to continue in the way that we have, so we're not going to collect offering here on site. It'll all be uh, e-transfer, and there still is the secure drop box here on site at the church that you can put your offering in if you'd like. During our service today, uh, it already feels different because there's only a few of us, and we're spread out, and we're we're wearing wearing masks, but also, too, to make it feel even more different, uh, we're going to ask you today to not sing, all right? Uh, The reason is because uh, it's our understanding that singing is one of the ways that we can spread uh, COVID-19. And uh, yes, you are wearing masks, but the guidance we've been given uh, by the authorities is to, for the time being, to refrain from singing. You can definitely hum <laughs> where you are, and uh, Mazin's going to come. Now, Mazin's going to sing, but he's going to be behind this protective screen, and uh, so he will be safe from you, and you'll be safe from him uh, while, uh, while he sings. But uh, please, if you can, please, please refrain uh, from singing. You'll also notice, too, there's no pew Bibles where you're sitting uh, it's just because we have to be able to clean stuff like that, and um, so the Bibles are temporarily uh, removed. Also, too, just in speaking of Mazin, 
I just wanted to, uh, on behalf of everyone here at Arendelle Bible Chapel, to extend to him a warm congratulations because he recently got engaged. Mazen is, uh, he's a good brother and he's a key leader here in our church, and so we're grateful for him in uh, lots of ways, and uh, today we're very happy for him and for his fiance Natalie. So, uh, so God bless you and, and Natalie as you head into this next part of your journey together, and uh, if, you, if you haven't met Natalie yet, most of you have heard her. She sings sometimes when Mazen's doing worship online. And you're like, who is that person who can sing so beautifully? That, and that's, it, that's Natalie. So anyway, we'll get to know her, God willing, better. Congratulations to you and Natalie, if you're watching, to you as well. Uh, why don't we stand together as we uh, will open our, our service in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that's ours to be able to gather today. Lord, we do not take that for granted. If we ever did, Lord, we don't know. We're grateful, Lord, for the privilege that's ours to gather in your name, to gather here as sons and daughters of the living God, as brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We've experienced your faithfulness in these last several weeks, Lord. We have, uh, we have known what it is to be sustained by you. And some of us here know that in a very powerful and profound way. Lord, you have provided for us. You have been present with us. You've encouraged us. And we want to give you thanks for that. And it's all because of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you have purchased. You have purchased all these things for us through your death on the cross. Oh God, you are good. You are great. Uh, You are faithful. You are our delight, our hope, our peace. Lord, it's in you we rest, and it's you today that we gather to worship. Father, we pray for our church family. We pray that wherever each member is, Lord, that your good, gracious, strong hand would be upon each one, and that each one would know your special presence in their lives. We think of those who are sick today, who are struggling with different health issues. Lord, that you would touch their bodies and restore strength unto them, and grant them, Lord God, the patience to endure, to endure faithfully, Lord. We, we pray for our elderly, Lord, for your protection of them. We pray for those who feel lonely and isolated, Lord, for your comfort for them. Lord, we ask that you would be near to your people today in a very powerful way. And that this service would be a means of grace to each one as we gather in your name and fix our focus on you, Lord Jesus. We commit our time to you, and we ask that you would touch lives and bring glory to Jesus. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. And while you're standing, we're going to do a responsive scripture reading. You, uh, if you came in to, uh, as you came in today, hopefully you got uh, the handout. Our projector is broken, so I don't know what happened, but some, it decided it's done. Since we left, it's, it quit on us, so, uh, so we're going old-fashioned in the hand. Uh, notes today. The theme of our reading is God's goodness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Um, This is different, but nonetheless, we still have a God who is worthy of our worship. And although we can't sing the same, um, God sees the heart. And so I would just encourage you to worship him from your heart and still surrender to him because he's definitely worthy and he is definitely able.
pray to you right now, Lord. You are so worthy, Lord. And we just come before you right now. Even though it's different, Lord, you are still the same. I pray that you would just bless this time together, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts, Lord. Open up our ears. And I pray that your words would just pierce into our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, I'm having a, a mask malfunction here. You can uh, turn your Bibles, please, to Ruth chapter 1. There we go. All right, Ruth chapter 1. And uh, sorry about that, my, uh, the, the loop on my mask was, well, I had issues. Anyway. Have I told you already it's really good to see you? It is so good, so good to see you. Now, of course, uh, uh, you don't need to be reminded about keeping your distance from one another, and that includes the parking lot. Okay, I don't want to see any big group hugs out there uh, in the parking lot afterwards. But when you get home, uh, or, uh, or if you're going to the park, or wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you can join us at 12 noon. We'll do our, our uh, coffee fellowship online at Zoom, on, on Zoom at 12 noon. Today, so if you want to uh, uh, visit some more, we can certainly uh, do it there uh, today at 12 on Zoom. Some of us are Zoomed out, but uh, hey, we should be pretty grateful that uh, the Lord and His goodness has applied us means to, to see each other and to stay connected in these really strange days. Well, did you find Ruth? Ruth chapter 1. Uh, we are in our series that we're calling uh, Tasting God's Goodness in life's bitterness. Well, life has its bitterness, doesn't it? And everybody, everybody that I've ever met has tasted something of it. You have surely tasted some of life's bitterness. But the Bible is clear about the certainty and constancy of God's goodness. We, we say sometimes, don't we, God is good all the time and all the time. That's right, God is good. And so uh, we, we, this is something we believe Uh, The challenge, of course, is for us to taste that, for us to experience that, for us to know that in the midst of life's bitterness. That was, that's a challenge for us. That was a challenge for Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. Remember we saw last week, looking at the first five verses of Ruth chapter 1, that Naomi's situation went from terrible to traumatic to tragic to catastrophic. She went from famine to having to leave her homeland to losing her husband to then losing her two sons. So from verses 1 to 5, she goes from from being a woman who is uh, married and in search of a brighter future to the end of verse 5, she is a childless widow and she is bitter and she is angry. And In fact, we're going to see today that she's, she's going to say, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. God has, call me Mara because God has marred my life. I don't know how, how you, you feel about things, but I think Naomi, she looked at her situation and at the end of verse 5 of Ruth chapter 1, she stands back and realizes my life will never be the same. And I think that's a, a kind of a sentiment that maybe is, is pretty common, even right now in, in, in our COVID-19 world, that you know, our lives are not going to be the same. Maybe you don't th- see things quite as dire as Naomi did, but you probably, it's probably crossed your mind. You know, I wonder if everything's, anything's ever going to really get back to normal. Uh, headline on CNN Online, May 8th of this year. The headline title is, Life Will Never Be the Same After the Pandemic Passes. Forbes magazine, April the 9th. Here's the title of this one article. COVID-19 is this generation's 9-11. And other ways, life will never be the same. 
How about the Boston Globe on April the 3rd? Sports, like the rest of life, will never be the same. Lives are, are, lives are, are changed, aren't they, by this pandemic? You don't need me to, hear to, to, to remind you all that. My question for you is, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that life may never be the same? Some of us maybe do feel good about it. Some of us feel not bothered at all. Some of us maybe feel that oh, we needed a change. And others, though, are maybe bothered by it. Some are perhaps fearful about it. Maybe you feel a bit like Naomi and you're angry about it. Bitter. Maybe you think, Ross, listen, you've got, you got no idea. You're talking about the pandemic. The pandemic's the least of my problems. Maybe as you, as you uh, uh, engage with me today, you'd say, Ross, I got habits I can't break. I got spiritual sluggishness I can't shake. I've got anxieties that I'm not sure I can take. I'm called to love somebody I'm not even sure I like. You know, it's like the pandemic is the best news I've had all year. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like Naomi who says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Well, every Christian who finds themselves in the bitterness of life needs to know, wants to know, and needs to know, where is God in all of this? And I think that what this passage does for us, among other things, is it shows us something of where God is in all of this. In fact, I think that this passage gives to us necessary perspective in order to help us, enable us to taste the goodness of God in the midst of the bitterness of life. I think that I think what we're going to see today is we're going to see two principles. This passage shows us at least two principles or two realities about the, the goodness of God that will enable us to experience and see something of the goodness of God, even in life's bitterness. Now, with that, by way of an introduction, let me just read with you Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 6 through 22. So, so Naomi just experienced catastrophe. She's a childless widow, and um, now we have verse 6, and this is what it says. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. In other words, the famine in Bethlehem is over. So she's heard this. So verse 7, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go. Return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. Who, who are the dead? The dead are her, her sons, right, her family. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly 
bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord had gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, you should, when you read that last line, think, who cares about barley harvest? Well, you've got to come to church next week and find out why that's so significant, because it means there's good things that are going to come, all right? Let me just sort, of, just sort of walk back through this quickly with you, this story. Just take a few moments here and just, just think through this story with you and what we've seen happen. We saw back in verse 6 where we began reading, of course, after Naomi, there she is. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. Here she is in this foreign land, in this foreign country, uh, with these two now daughters-in-law. And she gets word that the famine that drove her to Moab in the first place, the famine is over. And uh, I don't know, she probably saw it in her Twitter feed that, you know, her friends are talking about, hey, there's food in the cupboards, the grocery stores are open. She saw her old neighbors posting pictures of their dinner table on Facebook. And she realized, look, things are, God has, just as God has all, always does, he's been faithful to his people. And while there was famine, now the famine is over. And she looks around at her surroundings and weighs the situation to decide the best bet for her to merely survive, because that's what life would be for her now, is to go home, to merely survive. And so she packs up what little belongings she had, just a few things probably, and she takes these two daughters-in-law who apparently loved her dearly, and they left Moab. They made that journey. Remember last week they went one way? Well, that's this week they're going another way. They're going to go north uh, around the top of the, the Dead Sea and then west and then south again down into Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus and Elias Murad. He was literally born in Bethlehem, right? So, uh, that, that's where he, so he knows he could, he could draw the map for you if you want to see it afterwards. But that's the journey they took. Now, on the way, though, on the way, and I don't know if Naomi did this on purpose to like force the issue to help her daughters-in-law see how dire the situation was like if she waited until they were in the middle of nowhere or if it just 
all of a sudden just overwhelmed her, the reality of what these women were walking into. Whatever happened, I don't know. But what we do know happened is that partway on the journey, she stops and she turns around and she looks at Orpha and she looks at Ruth and says, stop following me. Go home. And she, she even gives them a blessing, didn't she? Verses 8 and 9. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May he provide for you. And she she kind of prays for them. But, says, but, 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 but go, go home. And what do the two of them say? Well, Orpha and Ruth, what do they do? They say, no, we're going to follow you. They cry and they hold her. We can never leave you. Apparently, they were very dear to each other. But then Naomi turns up the heat on them and says, no, you've got to go home. Don't you see? You have no future with me. If you stick with me, you are in for a life of abject poverty. And you say, now why? Why, why, would they, why would they be in for abject poverty? Well, you have to understand the times and the culture. At this time, for a widow, on her own, uh, coming back to, uh, Naomi is an, is an older woman now. She's got no, no father's house to return to in this, in this society, in this, this time and place. For a widowed, childless woman, she would be subject to eke out a survival with her bare hands. There would be no hope for prosperity of any kind for her. She will just merely survive until the day she dies. She will work. She will labor. Like, there's no, you, you couldn't go in these times, you, you couldn't go to the community college and, you know, acquire a new skill set and, and come out a physiotherapist or a law clerk or something like that. There's no going to university and take on a new, a new profession like, a, you know, going to medicine or education. There, that, that's not on the table. And she looks at these women and looks at these young women and say, listen, go home. If you go, you've got a chance at home. You can go back. You've got family there. You've got a network there. You've got, you're young. You can remarry. You can have stability. You stick with me. You've got no future. I think in many ways, Naomi, she loves these women. And this is why she's telling them, get away from me. Don't you see God has decimated my life? Stop following me, please. And what happens? Well, Orpah, who, by the way, you know Oprah Winfrey, right? Oprah, this is where her name comes from. It comes from, she is Orpah, but it became Oprah, and the rest is history. Now, if you're wondering, that has nothing at all to do with anything I had to say this morning. I just thought I'd throw that in there for you, just... So the next time you're in a little Bible trivia, you can say, you can use that somehow. What does Orpah do? Orpah does the sensible thing. Some suggest she does the obedient thing. And she, with loud weeping, she kisses her dear mother-in-law goodbye and she returns home to start a new life. But what does Ruth do? Ruth, still standing there, and Naomi's like, what's wrong with you, girl? Go, look, look what Orpah's doing. She has brains in her head. What's wrong with you? Follow her. Go home. Get away from me. And what does Ruth say? She says, stop telling me to leave you. I'm not leaving you. And she gives us that wonderful, powerful statement of devotion. Maybe you've heard it read at a wedding. It's very appropriate. I know it's not a wedding in, yet in this particular scene, but powerful words there in verse 16 do not urge me to leave you or return from following you for where you go i will go where you lodge i will lodge 
and your people shall be my people. Listen, listen. Your God shall be my God. This is, a, this is like an old-fashioned conversion here. This is a confession of faith. Look what she says. Where you die, I will die. Now think about what she's saying here. She's, you could say, you know, well, she, she might be sizing up things for Naomi and say, she's getting old. We're not going to have a very healthy lifestyle. She can't last that long. I'll just stick with her, help her, get her through, and then I'll come home. That's not what she says, though, is it? She says, where you die, I will die, and, where, and there I will be buried. I am with you for good, for keeps. May the Lord do so to me. Notice, may the Lord, all capitals, Yahweh, God's covenant name. This is, Ruth has somehow, some way become a believer in God. And she puts her lot not only with Naomi, but with Yahweh, with God. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, Stop telling me to go. I ain't going anywhere. I'm just going where you're going. Now think about what this is. This, loved ones, this is a God thing. If I could just, just do a little aside here. When somebody comes to know the Lord, this is kind of how it goes. God enters in and he awakens people, brings them from death into life, and that's not anything you and I can manufacture. This is a great picture of it. I mean, think about what kind of advantages does does uh, is ruth walking into here no economic advantage we've already talked about the poverty they're experiencing no social advantage in going on to bethlehem right she's leaving her whole social network behind she's got no no ethnic advantage you notice down in verse 22 the last verse she's called ruth the moabite some of you know what it is to always be looked upon as well you're not from here it's a tragic thing a painful thing and ruth she would know all about that and what else does she have? No advantage. No psychological advantage. Think about who it is she's tagging along with. Naomi, just to put it gently, Naomi is not at her best, is she? Like, she is not, she's not getting ready for her motivational speaking tour, is she? Right? There's no, but she's not, she's not going around humming, trust and obey, or anything like that, or great is thy faithfulness. She's pretty bitter. There's no apparent religious advantage either. You say, well, it's better to throw your, your lot in with Yahweh, isn't it? Absolutely is. But look at what she's seen with her naked eyes. As near as she can tell, Yahweh does not deal very well with his people. But she has faith that maybe somehow, some way that he will. The point is, I guess what I'm saying is that this is, this is a God thing. There's no practical advantage here for Naomi. She's walking into a very difficult situation, but she will hear nothing to the contrary. And so she goes, and then so they show up at Bethlehem, and then there's quite a stir, right? I mean, it's like the high school reunion of your nightmares. When you walk in, and you're like, oh, is this Naomi? Okay, that, I know that sounds a little ambiguous in the scripture, but I take it to mean, like, is this Naomi? In other words, what happened to her? Oh, how she's aged. And when she left, she had a family, but she doesn't have a family. And who's this Moabite woman that she's with? And, uh, and this is when she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. And then the last verse tells us that there they are returned, but there's harvest is coming. And again, that barley harvest is going to mean uh, really, really good things. God is at work. So there's, there's a story. It's not a whole lot more cheery than last week's story, is it? Although it's moving, 
to see the devotion of Ruth. So that brings us back to where we begin, where you say, Ross, what do you have for us today about our bitterness, about our anger, about our hard situation? We, how do we taste and see the goodness of God in the midst of our difficulty and our troubles? Well, there's two principles that I think then enable us to see God's goodness through the tears, to taste his goodness over and against the bitterness. Two principles about God. I want you to write these down if you've if you got something to write on, okay? Number one, first principle. The God who takes away, and he does take away, the God who takes away is also the God who gives. The God who takes away is also the God who gives. We sing that sometimes, right? You give and take away. I can sing, I'm behind the barrier, okay? You give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Now, you don't have to raise your hand this morning, but how many of you have ever sung that song and hated every word of it? Where you take away. There's pain in the taking away. And, and I want to point out to you something. As you read Naomi here and the things that she said, it almost sounds wrong, like some of the things that she's saying, but I want to assure you, there's nothing wrong with Naomi's theology. Verse 13, what does she say about God? She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. God has, God has acted against me. I don't think she's entirely wrong in that. There is a real sense in which God has acted against her. Verse 20, what does she say? She says there, she says, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Now we could come along and say, oh, Naomi, Naomi, don't worry. Things are going to get better. But things are not better yet. And when you're in the not better yet place, you wonder, will they ever get better? And you say, but, but, but and she sort of sounds like she's blaming God. Loved one, I would take Naomi's theology over a lot of contemporary Christian theology when it comes to the sovereignty of God. Why? Because she knows and she believes there's only one true God. And it either happens because he performed it or he allows it. But it doesn't happen for any other reason. So she, see what she's saying? There's nothing wrong with her theology. Verse 21, she says, the Lord, the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So she's like, God is taken away from me. You think, man, this doesn't sound, I thought this was about the goodness of God. It is about the goodness of God. It, but we, we have to come to terms with the fact that sometimes God does take away. There's nothing wrong with Naomi's theology. What's wrong with Naomi is not her theology, but her perspective. Because she succumbed to something that you and I succumb to probably more than we realize. The blinding power of bitterness. She's got her theology right, but what she doesn't see is that the God who does take away is also the God who gives. In fact, you probably, you probably picked out the error, her blatant error. In all, she's got all pretty much everything right in all that she says here in this text, but she got one thing like really, really wrong. Did you see the thing that she got wrong? Like it's just so... It's so obvious, and if you didn't miss it, you'd just be like, how could I, I must have not even been paying attention. How did I not see that? But um, don't be too hard on yourself, though. We're all just getting better here. But notice what it says in verse 21. Let's see if you see her error here. She says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Eh, eh, wrong, wrong, 
He's not brought you back empty. Because if you just stretch out your arms, you're going to bump into somebody. Who's that somebody? It's Ruth, the Moabite. Remember her? Who said, I'll die with you. I'll be buried next to you. She's right that She's right that in the providence of God, it had been bitter and God had taken away from her. But she was wrong that she had come back empty. In fact, I think it's really, really powerful that at the end of the book, chapter 4 and verse 15, right near the end, the women of Bethlehem say of Ruth that she's a daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. You see, she had succumbed to the blindness of bitterness. Some, one writes this. I think this is very insightful. They write, When we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. Let me read that again. When we have decided, so it's not necessarily true, when we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter that we can't see the rays of light of light peeping around the clouds. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're so bitter that you can't see the light peeping around the dark clouds? Nobody's arguing that the dark clouds aren't there and that they're dark. But there's rays of light shining around them and through them. It's the, it's the goodness of God. So just for example, somebody would say, and I... And, I, I'm as guilty as this as anybody in my life, okay? So if you feel picked on, you know, that, that may be just the Spirit speaking to you, okay? Not me. But you, you'll hear people say, in a, in a stretch of loneliness, I've got nobody. I've got nobody. Question, really? You've got nobody. Nobody at all. No one. I mean, Naomi would have said that, right? I got, she said that, actually. I came back empty. I got, I got nobody who did I bump it? Oh, I, I guess I do have somebody. The issue is, is that you're angry and you're hurt and you're grieving, and that's understandable. But it's not true you don't have nobody. You have nobody? You have a church? You have a friend? You have a sibling, maybe? Perhaps a spouse? Perhaps just a good neighbor? Or see, some, sometimes we might hear ourselves say, I've got nothing. Nothing? Nothing? Nothing at all? Do you have clothes on? Do you have oxygen? Do you have anything, any kind of liquid to drink today? Have you eaten in the last couple of days? Have you, you, got, you don't have nothing. You may have less than you wish. You may have genuine need. You have nothing? Or we'll say, I've said this a lot. Nothing's going right in my life right now. Nothing's going right. Nothing's going right. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's going right. Like when you eat, you, you put it in the wrong orifice. Is that what you say? Nothing goes right? What? Now, some things go right. Sometimes when we've decided that God is against us, we exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter that we can't see rays of light peeping around the clouds. It's a powerful story. One of my heroes of the faith is a woman named Corey Tenboom, who for years now has been with the Lord. But she, uh, in the Second World War, was taken and put in a concentration camp along with her sister, Betsy. 
And uh, there's just a powerful story about that she tells about when they first arrived there and just being overwhelmed by how horrible the conditions were. It's just, it, it reeked and, uh, and it was cramped and they're going to be claustrophobic. And, and uh, all this is coming to light when all of a sudden they realize that in addition to all that, their place where they are is infested with fleas. And uh, as I, I get to read here, she's just discovered that the place is in, infested uh, with, with, with fleas. And she, her sister begins to uh, pray, Lord, show us how, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, Ten Boom says, it took me a second to realize what Betsy was praying. More and more, the, the, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, and I, then I drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in First Thessalonians, I said. We were on the third complete reading of the New Testament since, uh, since leaving, and in the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort and frightened, help the weak. Uh, comfort the frightened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed expressly written, expressly written for where they were. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. To one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her and then around at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there is no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy, thank you for the very crowding here since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely. Thank you for the fleas and for the fleas. That was too much. Betsy, there is no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. A few pages later, and some time later, the two of them run into each other again and she noticed a twinkling in her Corey noticed a twinkling in her sister's eye she says to her sister you're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself I told her Betsy says you know you know we've we've never understood why we have so much freedom in the big room she said well I've found out that afternoon she said there had been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes and they asked the supervisor to come in and settle it but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And do you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. 
Because of the fleas. That's what she said. She said, this place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. And I remembered Betsy's bowed head. Remembered her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. I don't know if you've ever had occasion to thank God for fleas. But the point is well made when you think about a God who is good. A God who, yes, he takes away, but he's a God who gives. And it's a healthy exercise for us, I think, to follow the exhortation of the hymn some of you learned when you were little that goes, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, things that God has done. I don't think that's the right quotation there. But the whole idea of the hymn is to count your blessings, to name them one by one. I wonder what would happen to you and even to me if today we made a point of I will not lay my head down until I've written down ten blessings that God has given me. And then catch yourself and you say, nothing goes right for me. I've got nothing. I've got no one. Yes, God takes away, but God gives. It's important for you to see the God who takes away is the God who gives. That's the first principle. The second and the final principle I want to share with you this morning is this is that it's vital for you and I to understand in the midst of life's bitterness, it's vitally important for you and I to understand that God works not merely despite our sorrows, but through them. God works not merely despite our sorrows, despite our troubles, in spite of our hardships, but He works through them. In other words, the very sources of grief and frustration and anxiety and fear oftentimes is the means by which God is at work carrying out His good, gracious purpose for you and for the people around you. This is what we see here in, in the book of Ruth. The bitter events that had surrounded Naomi and even Ruth for that matter were the means by which God was carrying out His good, gracious purposes. You say, what purposes were those? Well, remember we said a week ago, when you fast forward to the end of the book of Ruth, and we find out that, well, it's a happy ending, and Naomi's holding her baby grandson, and if you haven't read the book, then you're wondering, well, where did that come from? You've got to read and find out. It's a happy ending, though. God is going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all she could ask or think. And she's holding her baby grandson, and then we're told that baby grandson is going to be the ancestor He's going to be the ancestor of King David, who will be the great king of Israel. And she will also be, and that little baby will also be the ancestor of Jesus, the king of all kings. See, what Naomi doesn't see, and she has no way of seeing it, is that God is at work right here, right now, in her bitterness. Through these very events, making the way for the Savior of the world. God is at work here, and she has no way of seeing it, but in her grief... Through her griefs, God is preparing salvation for all of us, for you and for me, and for her. God works not merely in spite of our sorrows, but, but through them. So understand, I just want to make this painfully clear. I am not saying that, I'm not saying that bad things happen and then God finds a way to fit those into his good purposes. I'm saying the bad things happening under the sovereignty of God are part of what he is working for his glory and your joy. Think about it. 
Think about, for example, a person like Joseph. We heard a sermon on Joseph a few weeks ago who was, well, how did his life go? Not good, right? <laughs> he sold into slavery by his own brothers, mind you. Uh, and then also what happened to him, he's falsely accused, lands in prison. He gets forgotten in prison. And uh, he, he had good reason to say, hey, don't call me Joseph, whatever that means. Call me Mara too. But what did Joseph say in the end of his story when his brothers are there pleading for forgiveness? He says in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, what you meant for evil, listen, 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 God meant for good. You acted wickedly. And God did not cause you to act wickedly. He did not tempt you to act wickedly. But in, in his providence, under his sovereignty, he meant for every tear in my life to fall and every struggle that I've experienced, he meant for it, for good. For good of saving people from starvation and a thousand other things. Even, see, even the purposes of the devil are ultimately under God's sovereign rule. You say, you're sure about that, Ross? Yeah, I am sure. Because you see it chiefly and supremely in the death of Jesus Christ. The greatest sin ever committed was surely the murder of the innocent Son of God. And it was murder. And yet over and above it all and through it all and ordaining it all, is a good, gracious God. Are you glad that Jesus died for your sin? Loved ones, God works not merely despite our sorrows, but through them. You say, well, what good is he doing in my sorrows right now, Ross? Well, it could be things I have no idea, but I'll give you at least, at least two that he might be doing. One, God uses our sorrows to do good in us. We see that again and again in Scripture, right? For example, James 1, verse 3. Just, just pick this one text. It says there, the testing of your faith produces or accomplishes steadfastness. Now, testing of your faith, that's not fun, is it? When your faith is tested, you're under pressure. You're under duress. It's a stressful thing. Why would God allow it? Well, for good reason. Because it produces steadfastness. What steadfastness? It's perseverance. It's, it's that ability to keep going in the faith, to keep worshiping, to keep serving, to keep living for the Lord. Uh, 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 and these tests of faith, what they do, that it, it does for you like it does when you go to the gym. Right? Why, why, do you, why do you go to the gym? Do you, do you like to torture yourself? No, you go to the gym because you know that putting stress on your body is a means by which we strengthen it and develop it and we do good to it. If you never stress your body, you will atrophy, won't you? Well, there's a spiritual connection there. Why would, why would God ordain for things to be taken away from me? Why would God ordain for sorrows for me? One reason is to do good to you, to strengthen your faith in Him, to help you to keep going, to, to do great things for Him. So He, he uses our, our sorrows to do good in us, he uses our sorrows to do good in others. Colossians 1.24, listen carefully to this verse, listen carefully. It says, Paul says, now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So Paul, he's not happy that he suffers on his own, but he is happy that the sufferings he endures does good for others. You say, well, how could it do for good for others? Well, listen, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, what's lacking in the sufferings of Jesus? Well, nothing savingly. The only thing lacking in the sufferings of Jesus is bringing the good news of what Jesus did to people who need to hear it. And the means by which God often commends the gospel to people is through suffering servants. Think about it. Have you ever heard a powerful, moving testimony of someone knowing Jesus and following Jesus and experiencing God's goodness and God's power? Have you ever heard a powerful, moving testimony? Just put your hand up in the room here. Have you ever heard that? All right, every hand in the room is up. I'm willing to bet you, I got no money in my pocket, so it's just a pretend bet, but I'm willing to bet you, my bank card, if you can figure out the PIN number, that that story involved suffering, adversity, sorrows, hardship. And it did because that's the reason you remember it. And that's why you're so moved by it. It wasn't easy. You see, through our suffering, through our opposition that we face, we, we show that Jesus is worthy. And he's more precious to me than the applause of people. Through suffering and hardship, it gets people's attention. And what Paul says is that it shows forth something to the sufferings of Jesus who haven't seen it. I think of that I've told you about him before, a dear friend of mine who has suffered immensely, suffered terrible abuse in his life. I have seen him on many, many occasions get up in front of a room of people and he tells about knowing God and God's faithfulness to him and the room goes silent and people are wrapped to the attention to a wrapped with attention to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ sometimes God uses our troubles to touch others and that can be one of the good purposes that he has for us in it now the question that I want to leave you with today is this is will you trust him will you trust him we said today that God works not merely despite our sorrows, but through them. Will you trust him that in his wisdom and in his goodness, he is doing good things even when you can't see it? And when you realize that even in my grief and my sorrow and my troubles, God is surely at work doing good things, can you somehow, someway find some rejoicing in that, in that God is good? We've said also today that the God who takes is the God who gives. Like the, the old hymn writer said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He places his feet, he puts his footprints on the sea. Now think about that. When you put your footprint, think about yourself walking along the beach and the waves are crashing in. When you put your foot in the sand there, you can see your footprint, right? But what happens when the wave comes over that footprint? It's erased. That's the way it is sometimes. We don't see the footprints of God in our lives. We don't see what he's doing, but he is doing. And even though he may take, he's a God who also gives. Loved ones, will you trust him? Will you even today ask him for open eyes to see his goodness? As you count your blessing and trust him to be God, the God who not only takes, but gives. And who works not just despite your troubles, but through them. Let's pray, and then Maz is going to come and close our service. Father, as we deal in weighty matters here, we are mindful of the fact that we need your grace. And we acknowledge the fact that so often we don't see, Lord, we don't see what we desperately need to see, and that is your goodness. We don't taste sometimes what we desperately need to taste, that is 
that is your goodness, Lord. I pray that there would be a great tasting today of your goodness. That you would call to our minds, Lord, your faithfulness, your greatness. That you would warm our hearts and incline our hearts to lean on you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your great name. As we just continue to worship God, let us just put, put our trust in Him because He's worthy. Temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. You're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. 
God, we need you so much, Lord. Without you, we are nothing, Lord. You are our strength. You are our comfort, Lord, our counselor, redeemer, Lord. I pray that you would help us put our trust in you, Lord. I pray that you would help us surrender daily to you, Lord, because you are our strength, Lord, no one else. We cannot do anything without you, Lord. Give us hearts after you, Lord. I pray that you would draw close to us as we draw close to you, Lord. You are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Well, we are so glad to have this time with you today. You are so, so loved, and we just pray that you would have a great week. We love you guys.